Welcome to this episode of Police the Beat, the side series to Police in Ireland that looks at some of the contentious and current issues in policing. We're delighted today to be joined by Haritha Oliganathan, who's going to speak to us about the work that she does with Youths Against Racism and Inequality Ireland. Um, so Haritha, thank you so much for joining us. We're delighted to have you. Um, could you maybe tell us a bit about the work that um, Youth Against Racism in Ireland does? Yeah, thanks a million for having me, first of all. Um, it's brilliant to be on the show. But yeah, Youth Against Racism and Inequality, um, we were we kind of established ourselves in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protest last year. Some of us were organizing protests in our own cities and we kind of saw the power um, and the impact that these protests and the movement had, not only internationally, but especially in Ireland as well, because it was one of the first times that we've seen protests on this level in their thousands against racism in the country, to be honest, because like immigration is a relatively new thing in the country. Um, it was really one of the first times where the whole notion that racism doesn't exist in Ireland was truly challenged. And we even saw that through, um, you know, protests being organized in very rural areas, such as in Monaghan or Dingle, which had a very small black population, uh, let alone like people of color uh, living in the region, um, which really demonstrated the solidarity that exists. But more important, importantly, like the vacuum kind of in Ireland, um, uh, on on the uh, like on the issue of anti-racism and more importantly like a fighting organization against racism of course we have discussions against racism and I think these have increased um you know since last summer but we don't have um, an organization that's consciously trying to um you know break apart why racism exists in society in the first place and consciously making attempts um to fight back against it because to be honest, over the past year, we've seen the huge solidarity that exists amongst working class communities, not, not just on the issue of racism, but generally how uh, people have dealt with the pandemic, made sacrifices. Um, we've seen how inequality has deepened um, for so many people, um, for so many communities that includes like women um, and like homeless communities and all as well. Right. And how I think the system has really been exposed in this context. So there's a real need for young people to take a leading role um, in fighting against inequality as a whole. And that is a really important point about young people, isn't it? Particularly in the context of something like racism. Uh, you know, we have young generations um, probably more affected by it than ever in Ireland, um, but also perhaps feeling more disenfranchised and, and needing that voice all the more. Exactly. And I think even throughout history, we've seen how young people have been at the forefront for change, because, of course, you just kind of have the freshest ideas. You're like you're especially when you're at the age in which you're first entering the workforce and really being exposed to the inequalities that maybe you would have seen or witnessed before, but not maybe experienced yourself firsthand. And like, and I think especially um, with like my generation of young people, you're seeing a growing um, tendency to have zero tolerance for oppression. I think mm -hmm. we've mainly seen this manifested online, to be honest, and maybe with like in-person interactions and trying to fight um, bigoted ideas in our own circles. Um, but I think it is inevitable like that once we come out of the pandemic um, and once society reopens again, that we're going to be seeing protests of this layer of young people, um, you know, on the streets and uh, really um, organizing in a more concrete way. 
Yeah, I'm really struck by what you say there about people kind of entering the workforce or taking responsibility for their lives and the consequences of those for like those really deep first encounters of racism, like and just how traumatizing it must be to feel that inequality in your own society and to feel like, you know, not equal. Um, I, yeah, it must be awful. Um Obviously, one of the reasons that we decided to speak to you on this was because we read some really interesting stuff about a survey you had done about um, young people's experiences of racism, including at the hands of the police in Ireland. Um, Can you tell us a bit about why you decided to conduct the survey? Of course. Um, Because as we mentioned earlier, like racism can be quite hidden in Ireland. Um, People are not very quick to really point it out. And especially because a lot of like um, racism in the country, especially for young people, consists of mainly of microaggressions, right? These are like smaller acts of racism um, that are usually like not really explicitly physically violent, whether this be called, be, being called slurs, people refusing to sit beside you on public transport, um, your teachers thinking that you're um, less intelligent because of your race, um, being followed around in stores or being stopped and searched by the guardy. All of these incidences can seem small um, and just be like, oh, it's just a coincidence. Um, but as they build up over time, it can have really traumatizing impacts on people's mental health. Um, and the survey we would have carried out um, over a couple of months uh, period would have um, tried to collate data on young people's experiences of racism um, and specifically at the hands of the Gardaí. And we would have like 60% of the 167 people um, that participated in our survey um, would have been under 18, which is really significant. So I know mm-hmm. um, one of the last episodes was on like um, uh, the experiences of children with the Gardaí. And the fact that despite like 60% of the young people, like 60% of um, the respondents were under 18, yet still... of the people of colour and travellers who participated in the survey had been randomly stopped and searched by the Gardaí with no prior reason. And specifically um, for Black young young respondents, um, 85% of these young people would have felt as though they were stopped as a result of racial profiling, um, which is a very significant um, uh, statistic. Um, So I, I think especially in this context, um, it was really important for us to, to put this out there. Um, but really what would have sparked um, us conducting the survey in the first place would have been um, the horrific murder of George Ngenjo that kind of shook the country um, late last year or was, as we were kind of at, like finishing, um, you know, uh, we were kind of going into lockdown, um, trying to uh, like end off the year with like celebration and stuff. And um the death of uh, George at the hands of the guards would have caused huge division and would have really exposed the underlying racist ideas that can sometimes go unchallenged um, amongst, you know, Irish people. Um, so we really wanted to challenge that and put forward the demand um, for a fully public and independent inquiry into um, uh, the GSOC investigation uh, by exposing the realities of young people's experiences with the guards. And we, we can go more into like the statistics and the nitty gritty of that, um, I'm sure, as the podcast goes along. 
Yes, uh, I have questions, unsurprisingly. And I'm uh, firstly, I really commend you for doing this kind of work. Um, we know so little in Ireland about um, the experiences of stop and search generally, like in the general population, the guards don't publish any data on this. And there hasn't been work of this type conducted before um, looking at people's experiences. So you surveyed 167 people Um they weren't, there were white people in that survey as well, were there? Yes, sorry, I should have mentioned 139 of them were people of colour and travellers. Okay. Um, of course, some people were like white, but they were immigrants. So perhaps from like Eastern European backgrounds. Yeah. So can still um, face some level of like, you know, racial profiling as well. Um, but I, we, they were under the category of white people. They're not included in the statistics of people that were randomly stopped and searched by the Guardian. It's significant as well, the fact that over one third of people in color and travelers were randomly stopped and searched by the guards. Um, but only 19% of, you know, white and settled people uh, were. Yeah, I mean, that's it's an enormous distinction. So in your survey, 19% of white and settled um, were stopped and searched randomly, whereas that moved to 35% um, for black travelers, people of color and so on. Um, and that's that's an enormous distinction. You know, it's close to double. Um, and the data from the UK would tell us that it's even higher that, you know, when, and I'm sure you didn't have the capacity or the wherewithal to do a huge survey. But when you get into those massive surveys in the UK, it can be like seven times as many people, um, black people are stopped and searched than white. So it's it's hugely important to have data around this. Um, I don't know if you're in a position to comment on how do people feel about the fact of seeing that data, you know, on paper that they are actually being stopped more often? Um, what does that mean to people? Um, I think, to be honest, the response that we've gotten um, through Yari has been overwhelmingly positive because, of course, we're trying to like reach out um, to, you know, the layers of people who are most open to joining an anti-racist organization who believe and who are confident um, in the room for an anti-racist movement to emerge over the next couple of years. But of course it can be unsettling. Um, and I know especially like drawing back to Black Lives Matter because I think that was probably one of the most eye-opening events for a lot of people internationally um, on the issue of racism. Uh, like we, I, I know um, uh, doc, the documentary 13th that would have like, I think its viewership skyrocketed, skyrocketed by over like 4,000% or something um, over June last year would have, you know, started with the stark, stark finding that like one in four um, African-American men serve a prison sentence at some point in their lives, you know. And the fact that we don't have this same data in Ireland, to be honest, mm -hmm. is telling in itself. And of course, like such a small survey, especially one that is mainly concentrated on young people is not going to be able to fully capture the whole picture. But I think even um, that the, the fact that I think that uh, zero point, like travelers make up less than 1%, I think it's around 0 0.6 of the mm. population in Ireland, yet are estimated to make up over 20% of the prison population, yeah. you know, really speaks to the level of what racism like, you know, likely exists in society, um, but it's not being explored. And I think it's very important to ask, why is that, the yeah. case and why um 
do we accept, why, why do we let racist ideas um, exist in society and why aren't they being challenged? And I think this really poses the question, it's like, who does racism really serve? And that's something that, you know, um, Yari are really trying to tease out and explain. Yeah, and like this is a hugely important point. Like when we look at the history of policing and racism in England and Wales, we have after Stephen Lawrence was killed, the McPherson Inquiry, which found that the Metropolitan Police was institutionally racist. And like what that means, you know, is that as you know, like the whole of this, the, the organization is set up, is is developed um, on a bed of racism. And so things like not collecting data and not releasing that data is part of that. Because if we don't have the hard facts, we can say, oh, it's not a problem, but only because we don't know. And like when we compare it to the UK and you can say, right, of those that are stopped and searched, of those that are detained, arrested, interviewed, um, charged, prosecuted, convicted, like we can see that throughout the whole of the process and we can't do that in Ireland and it's really problematic um so again I commend you very much for doing this work um you had another finding as well didn't you that 45 percent of people from black Asian or traveler backgrounds felt humiliated after encounters with Gardaí exactly and um it's only seven percent of people who had been randomly stopped and searched by the guards felt satisfied with the encounter. Um, so I think like that exposes um, the race nature of the guards fundamentally, you know. And I, I, I think anyone who is uh, listening to the show right now is, was probably aware um, of the research carried out by Inspector David McCurney last summer that would have found that 30% of frontline guardy had a negative view of African-Americans and not a single frontline guard who was surveyed has a po- had a positive view of travelers, you know? Mm. Um, and that, you know, really shows, um, and, uh, that really shows like the reality of racism um, amongst like the rank and file of the guards. Um, and to be honest, that makes sense because like, like the, Becoming a guard is, um, you know, taking up a position of power and with taking up a position of power in the fundamentally unequal society we have is going um, to come with all of the inequalities, um, you know, uh, that, that inequalities of society that's going to be reflected in the guardian. It's important to remember that the guardian fundamentally have to protect whether or not your local guard, whether or not your 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 family member or relative who's a guard is not racist or is um, not misogynistic or is loving and caring, they still have to protect and uphold a system that is fundamentally racist, that is fundamentally misogynistic, um, and have to protect um, you know those who have the most power in society, the wealthy in society, over the people who are most marginalized, over working class and poor communities. And I think, to be honest, we've seen this not just on the issue of racism, because it's important to connect these dots and not just see racism racism as an isolated issue. Um, We've seen how the guards have treated Debenhams workers, for example, um, after they've been, you know, (laughs) on, on their pickets for over a year, um, actually supporting KPMG, the liquidators, allowing them um, to take stock, breaking up pickets, treating um, picketers with quite brut- like with brutality shows how they just have a negative view of working class people generally. And of course, this is going to be even more stark for working class people of colour and travellers. Or even I know I was um, part of, I took part in some of the safe and socially distanced gender violence, uh, uh, protests against gender violence um, following the murder of Sarah Everard um, in March. 
and we would have had a good turnout um, at the spire, yet the guards would have come and would have, um, you know, taken down the names of so many people, threatened them with 2,500 euro fines for protesting against an issue that is in reality the shadow pandemic. Um, gender violence has, you know, has become such a huge issue over the past years. People are stuck to their homes and, you know, hardly any extra funding is gone um, to institutions to protect, um, you know, victims as well. And it's re- in this, in this it, when you're, you know, hearing, um, you know, these examples, it's important to ask where are the guards when people are actually in need, you know, where are the guards when women are actually facing abuse? Why are they only here um, to to break apart solidarity, to break, um, you know, apart people who are trying to fight um, against a rigged system? I, I think that really exposes the reality of the guards and what the guards uphold and what the priorities of the guardy have and always, uh, you know, will be. Um, but that's just obviously, I, I think our survey would have helped expose that on the issue of racism, which we haven't seen much of previously. Yeah, because I mean, like, again, just to go back to, I have so much to say about that, but the your point on the survey, I mean, if we take it, these are random stops. So these aren't even situations where people have been suspected of anything. They're just random stops and 93% feeling unsatisfied at the end of it. And 45% feeling humiliated. Like these numbers are enormous. Um, and I don't know, like, I really want listeners to think about that, that point of like that you'd have an encounter with the guards and actually feel humiliated at the end of it. Um, and what does that do to our confidence in policing, in our confidence in the state, in democracy, in in, in our our, our value as people um, in this state. But the points you're making there are so true. And I think it's really important to tease out that not only are they, you know, people talk about, well, you know, if you have a racist society, then the police are going to be reflective of that. That's not actually a sufficient analysis in this because police culture literature tells us that no matter where you go, Policing as an organization is inherently racist. It's inherently inherently um, based in machismo. It's inherently conservative. Um, and that actually is irrespective of the state that you're in. Um, so it's not enough to, to kind of go, well, you know, if you've racism in society, then we're going to have racist police. Um, because no, that's that's letting them away with something. Firstly, because there are other structures that play even within police that makes them more racist. But secondly, if we're giving all the police all of those powers, I'm sorry, but like we need to be saying that's not good enough. Um, it's not okay to say that you're reflective of society if we're giving you powers to stop, search, arrest, detain, and of course use lethal force, um, as has been the situation, um, you know, in the last few months in Ireland. Um, how are are you in a position to comment on on how relationships are um, between the black community and the police at the moment? I mean, I think the statistics that we've that we've um, you know shown in terms of people feeling humiliated, the fact that like um, uh, I think is it yeah thirty five percent maybe uh, I've got that wrong thirty eight percent sorry of people um, who were randomly stopped and searched by the guardy. Um, said that this that this happened um more than three times um which which of course when it builds up like that i think yeah. that, that shows in itself um 
what, what people's experiences of the with the Gardaí um, are going to be, what people's views of the Gardaí are going to be. Um, I don't remember statistics, statistics off the top of my head, but I remember there was data carried out a few years ago that showed like, um, I, I think it was close to maybe, maybe you'd know it, um, like a quarter or a third of immigrant communities um, wouldn't feel safe reporting incidences mm-hmm. um, to the guards as well. Um, and especially because um, these these weren't like shown like d- directly through, um, you know, our numerical data, but we also were able to collate quite a few um, experiences of people um, saying that they had been, uh, that, that the guards had thrown slurs at them, calling them terrorists, um, using the K word um, for travelers, saying that they match the profile and therefore treating them um, with violence. Or even like when you're not just talking about the guards, when you're talking about like security and policing generally being followed in shops, especially in like wealthier shops, because as a black person, they just automatically assume that you're going to be a thief. Um, and not and constantly being degraded in that sense um, in airports. Um, I know one person said that I'm always stopped at airports for extra checking and my bags are always searched. This is someone who wears a headscarf. Um, and I think this shows how like, you know, disenfranchised not only people of color are, but I think like working class people are working class people generally um, are um, with, with the guards um, in many communities. I think especially um, with the black community, um, the murder of George and Kencho has only heightened that distrust in the police, you know, very understandably, especially in Dublin 15. Um, I mean, even the fact that George and Kencho had really horrible mental health issues that were left untreated. And some of that stemmed from witnessing his friend die um, when he was 15 years old, you know, um, witnessing his friend be killed. Um, and where were the police there, you know, um, to help him then? Um, so it's it's a really horrific uh, butterfly effect almost um, that took place, you know, with his case. Um, but I, I think the points that you're raising in terms of, um, you know, why the police are racist and why the police uphold, um, you know, systems of oppression are really, really crucial um, to tie down because, as I mentioned earlier, we as Yari activists are fundamentally anti-capitalist. And although we fight, we, 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 we you know, um, want to make sure and want to fight um, for an independent and public investigation with, with um, George Cantrell's case specifically, we want to fight for anti-racist training for especially, um, you know, the Gardaí to challenge racist ideas um, to some extent. But we do understand that, um, that like having such positions of power um, and like having to, especially police in a system um, that upholds and like, um, you know, uh, favors um, the, the most privileged in society um, is going to be reflected in the Guardian. We also understand um, that like crime, especially under capitalism, if we think about the basis of crime, it's most often scarcity, right? It's most often not having enough, it's whether that be, um, you know, uh, as as you've grown up, um, your family not being able to provide you with the love and care necessary to nurture you, and therefore um, not being able to you know be uh, to to be fully integrated into society. Whether that means having um, to shoplift or commit crime in order to make ends meet, um, all of all of these issues so often 
um, are rooted in scarcity. And capitalism is a system that makes people believe, that makes us believe that there's not enough resources in society for us all. Um, so to be honest, unless we break with such a system, uh, you know, um, like policing um, will like, you kind of have this idea that like, um, that people, that, that there's just inherent, that people are inherent, there, there's always going to be, sorry, a layer of people who are inherently um, evil-minded, who, um, you know, are predisposed to criminality. Um, and to be honest, that's not, um, we, we have to understand that people's actions are rooted in how they're brought up, are rooted in the system. And although we're not saying that if you broke with capitalism, there would be absolutely no crime, of course, that wouldn't be the case, but the basis of crime would be lessened to a large extent. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's really important to see that, that that policing happens within a context and whether you come at that from, you know, an anti-capitalist perspective or an anti-carceral perspective or an anti-racism or anti-patriarchal, um, you know, that is all true and it is all relevant. You know, do we do we respond to um, drug addicts who commit crimes as you made a choice to do something or do we recognise that there's an illness at play um, and what role are the police playing in all of that these are really really big important questions and it's so important that as a society we have these conversations and really think about you know there's a lot of evidence that yes you can do things like give anti-racism training or increase diversity within the police or require them to record stop and searches um but there's not a whole lot of evidence as to those causing fundamental shifts um in racism in policing um, you mentioned the GSOC investigation um, into George and Kendall's um, killing, um, and you are calling for a full public inquiry into this. Yes, we are. Um, and these are demands that are being reflected in the Inkenjo family themselves in you know, press statements um, they've made. And um, especially because uh, we, you know, we, we've gone over um, you know, the racist biases that, you know, exist within the Guardian itself. It's, it's important that, you know, working class people are, have the power to hold people in power, you know, accountable mm. um, in the first place. And currently that's not the case or else, um, or, or else, you know, uh, like you, you kind of alluded um, to like addicts um, in the incarceration system, for example, if, um, you know, the, the justice system was fair, then you wouldn't have like rapists and people who have genuinely hurt people um, being given shorter sentences than, you know, addicts and people who have um, committed crimes out of, uh, you know, um, out of need um, or out of mental health issues. And these need that um, Yari understand that we need to take these factors in fully um, into account, not just with George and Kento's case, but also really ask how um, are issues of mental health and class and race um, being taken up by the Gardaí on a more fulsome level? Um, like, why aren't the guards able to de-escalate mental health crises without using, you know, lethal force? Um, and uh, and what role um, races and classes tensions have to play in that? We've seen even since um, uh, the the murder of George and Kensho, um, his family being facing continued like traumatization and brutalization, not just at the hands of the Gardaí, but their community generally. 
um, and how like the specific role that the guards have played um, in you know, um, I, a, a lot of people would have heard um, an incident that happened a couple of weeks ago. This was the day before Yari would have had our press conference um, publishing our data um, in which 10 police would have um, showed up um, to the Encanto's house um, where there was no basis for 10 police to be there um, and treating um, an underage person, you know, with, um, with brutality. And I cannot imagine... Um, the, how traumatizing that must have been for the family to witness another one of their children being treated in that way when they literally lost their son, a grieving family having lost their son um, only a couple of months prior. Um, so I think like uh, it, it really speaks. I've kind of forgotten the question that you initially asked now. Um, so I'll, I'll finish it up there. No, I mean, yeah, it was a, it was around a public inquiry. And I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction with GSOC, both in terms of it apparently taking eight weeks to speak to family members um, and just the delays that are occurring. But there are also inadequacies within the complaint system itself um, that really will um, limit GSOC's capacity, I think, to, to look at those broader issues and to, you know, see what role racism played um, in this issue. And, and I, that will be very difficult for GSOC to do within their current structures, um, whereas a public inquiry potentially can. But I think, you know, it's interesting what you're talking about in terms of mental health and so on. Of course, this is where the defund the police campaign would be very, very strong. Um, and maybe even simple things like, you know, rather than a government committing to in continually increasing the size of Vanguard Shea for a number of years, you know, if we saw more mental health workers, social workers um, and so on who could actually you know maybe prevent problems escalating to the point that society deems a police response necessary um are there any final comments you'd like to make in relation to this we've, we've covered so much um and it's really great to hear this perspective yeah no it's been brilliant um talking and i think i guess specifically with like, you know, mental health that I know we mentioned, um, uh, Toyosi, um, George's friend who was, you know, murdered in front of his eyes, um, how it, it was the lack of mental health services and the failure mm. of um, CAMS to really provide for him that, you know, yeah. um, had a huge role in, yeah. you know, his death at the end of the day. And um, I think it really just exposes the inadequacies of capitalism as a system. Um, and I know I posed a question earlier, like who does racism really serve? I think it, it could be an important point to end on. Um, just because like, even like we, we've we made points on like um, uh, how the police not only um, like target people of color and travelers, um, but target working class people and like the poorest and most oppressed um, layers of society as a whole. And really asking ourselves like, does, does like um what what does a white working class person who yes maybe um doesn't face discrimination when trying to seek work or um trying to seek like rental accommodation um what how does racism benefit a white working class person it doesn't because they're not in a position of power and to be honest the same structures that affect all working class people in terms of um not being like the reasons why um 
like the reasons why uh, like uh, black people um, are five times more likely to face discrimination when seeking work or are so often um, told c- consciously and continuously told um, that any place they're looking for has been rented out within minutes of, of the ad going up um, just because of, you know, their surname, um, how they, how this doesn't, sorry, um, this discrimination um, doesn't exist because white working class people are taking up those spaces, um, but rather because there isn't sufficient funding into healthcare, there isn't sufficient funding into like building public and affordable housing, um, and there isn't sufficient like um, funding, funding into like tackling unemployment and underemployment, right? Um, and I think especially um, with the year that we've seen um, and uh, the the way in which inequalities have just kind of been blown up over the past few months, um, I'd urge anyone who is like listening and like um, agrees with the need to like um, fight against oppression as a whole um, to get in contact with the ARI. We're um, at antiracism.irl on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook too. Um, or our website is yariireland.car.co um, and you can get in touch with us and um, come along to our next discussions and actions um, where we can continue like discussing um, why we need to help build um, an anti-racist movement in Ireland and internationally. Thank you so much, Harita. And uh, the work you're doing is amazing. And that survey is really, really important. Um, I know it has got some attention, but we all really need to think about that. Um, so, yeah, just to say again on Instagram, that's antiracism.irl. Um, thank you, Yuri, for joining me. And we hope to continue these discussions on future episodes of The Beat. <laughs>